We're going to be in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings today. We've been studying the life of the prophet Elisha, and of course, we've noted his miraculous ministry so far. He asked for the double portion of his predecessor, Elijah, and wouldn't you know, if you study his life, he did double the miracles as God granted that tremendous request of the double portion. But if you've got your Bible here today, 2 Kings chapter 3, the title of our message is Digging Ditches. Missionaries Randy and Elise Nelson had been serving in Kenya for nine years when the windmill which served the Turkana people broke down. And there in the desert regions of Kenya, water is scarce, and so it is like liquid gold. And in many of the areas, like the village where the Nelsons were stationed, windmills pump water from underground wells and are vital for the survival of the people. Now, the windmill that the Nelsons were close to pumped 625 gallons a day. That would be enough to meet the needs of about 100 people and three herds of goats. The Turkana people hauled water from the windmill every day in plastic jerry cans atop their heads. But one day, Randy went to the windmill. He took the lid off of the water storage tank connected to the windmill, and he saw there was just a mere trickle dribbling from the supply pipe. The next day, he went back, checked it again, and saw something even worse. The water supply had stopped completely. So Randy radioed his missionary colleagues for help in replacing some gaskets inside the pump, which is a procedure they had done many times before to fix it. But that didn't work. So then they called in a well mechanic to come and look at the equipment, and his diagnosis was not good. He said the whole pump is burned out, and you're going to have to have a total replacement. Well, that would take weeks for them to order a new pump and have it shipped there to that remote village in Kenya where they were, and there just wasn't enough time. It was the dry season, and if they didn't find water soon or somehow fix the pump, well, a whole village would get desperate. And so that night, missionary Randy Nelson remembered going into his little house, burying his head in his Bible, crying and saying, Lord, you've got to get us out of this mess. Now we'll find out the rest of the story toward the end of our message. But when I first read about the Nelson's drought, I thought about this story and the similar predicament in 2 Kings chapter 3 where you have the kings of Judah and Israel and Edom as they have marched their army for seven days and they come to a desert wilderness. These kings had pooled their resources together. They had allied their armies to try and defeat a common enemy of God's people, a tribe and a nation that God called the Moabites. Psalm 59, in fact, God labeled His detest for the Moabites. He called them my washpot. Now, however, as these armies marched, they came to a screeching halt when they entered this valley where there was no water in sight. The armies were too far out away from the city to march back home, and you know there was no rain in the forecast. And so what these three armies needed 
was a heaven sent miracle if they were going to survive and live to fight another day. But fortunately for these three kings that we're going to meet, there was a man of God who specialized in impossible situations. And he knew a God uh, who the word impossible did not belong in his vocabulary. Now in 2 Kings 3, here is the record of one of Elijah's most amazing miracles. And God is going to use this water crisis to catapult Elijah onto the main stage as a spiritual leader for God's people. Now oddly enough, as you begin to study the backdrop for this miracle, what you see is that before there is a divine deliverance, God asks these kings and these armies to do something strange. He asks them to start digging ditches. So in this message, we're going to look at that theme, digging ditches. And we're going to examine several lessons about how when we find ourselves in an equally desperate situation, in a drought, so to speak, God might ask us to do something that we wouldn't think would make logical sense. He might ask us to dig a ditch. So we're going to use that theme as the launching point for our message today, digging ditches. Well, if you're taking notes, number one, I want you to notice with me, Israel's drought. And Israel's drought is a picture of the dependence of faith. The dependence of faith. Read with me. Chapter 3, verse 9, here's what the Word of God says. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab." Now we see here that as we open our story that this war against Moab has produced a strange alignment of dark and light. You have King Jehoram who led Israel and he was a wicked man. By the way, you ought to know at this time in Israel's history they're a divided kingdom. There is Israel in the north upon which sat 20 some kings. All of them did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then you have Judah in the south there were some good kings and there were some bad kings. And then you have Edom down here, whom were always a thorn in Israel's side. Edom descended from Esau. But you see here that a strange alliance is made. King Jehoram, this wicked man ruling in Israel, is allied with the king of Judah and Edom. Now, a little bit of background about Jehoram. His mother and father were wicked Ahab and Jezebel. That's the dirty duo who ruthlessly persecuted the prophet Elijah in the book of 1 Kings. They are the ones who introduced idolatry, Baal worship, into the spiritual life of Israel. And you should know that the reason that Baal was regarded in the ancient world was because it was thought he could send the rain. He was a fertility god. Well, notice, here they have entered into a situation where it's drought and there is no rain. So there's a situation now where the deaf and dumb idols of the pagan world cannot meet the needs of God's people. Now, as we continue to read there, we meet another king named Jehoshaphat. 
He's the king in Judah. A good king. He tried to do his best to rule over God's people. And here he is allied with two reprobates. And notice the opportunity that is given to him as a dire situation faces them. Verse 11. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? A rhetorical question. He knew the answer to that. Isn't it interesting that they begin to think about Elisha in this time of drought? Because they knew that Elisha was the student of Elijah. And if you know anything about 1 Kings, it was Elijah who ended the three and a half year drought, according to 1 Kings 18. But notice what verse 12 says. And Jehoshaphat said, or excuse me, back up to the end of verse 11. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shephat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Verse 12, And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now think about this. At this moment, you have three of the most powerful men in the world seeking out the man of God. The man of God at this moment has now become more valuable than the armies of three kings. And here is what I've noticed in my life as I make a connection from this passage. Friend, have you noticed that when times are good, when there's plenty of money in the bank, when there's a nice car in the garage, when the job is good, and when the kids are behaving, most folk don't want to have anything to do with God's man, God's word, or God's people. Hello? Have you noticed that? But look at what's happened now in this story. Things have shifted. Times are bad. It's a drought. Three armies are on the ropes. They're about to die of dehydration. And who is it that these three men, these kings go in search of? The man of God. That's the way it is in our lives too. You know, when things are bad in somebody's life, they may not want to have anything to do with church. You may have invited them, tried to be a witness to them, prayed for them, did good to them. They have shut you down. They may have not wanted anything to do with the Word of God. But when divorce hits, when disease hits, when unexpected death arrives in their family, who do they begin to turn to? It's the man or the woman of God. You see, when the drought hit, folks who don't have much of a connection with God all of a sudden see the need in their life and they start calling on the man or the woman who prays. The man or the woman who has a Spirit of God within their life. So friend, don't underestimate your godly witness. You never know when somebody that you've been witnessing to might enter a crisis and all of a sudden that crisis then becomes the catalyst for which they come and seek you out and say, can you help me in this situation? I need somebody with a word from God. I need somebody to give some clarity to my situation. What do I do? I'm facing a problem. And that will give you a window. That will give you an open door to speak into their lives. To be a witness for the Lord. You may have been a faithful witness to them for a long time. 
and they have been unwilling to listen to you, but all of a sudden, things are different now. There's a drought in their life, and they know who to go to, just like these kings sought out the man of God. Last year, I got a call from a friend from high school. I hadn't talked to this guy in years. Kind of lost track with him. Doesn't that happen in life? He went his way, I went my way. When we grew up, though, we were thick as thieves. We were good buddies. We played ball together. We got in trouble together. He was a good friend of mine. But I lost track with him. And all of a sudden, I got a call from him one day. He said, Derek, it's so and so. He said, can you come down and talk to me? Usually when people call the preacher, it's because it's a last resort, by the way. <laughs> but this guy had called me. So I went down and saw him. He started talking with me. He said, he said, Derek, let me tell you what's happened in my life. I made some bad decisions. He said, I got caught up in drugs and alcohol. He said, I overdosed on pills. I died in the hospital. They had to resuscitate me. They had to bring me back to life there on a hospital bed. He said, I come up from that sickness and I, I had a wake-up call. It was a slap in the face. I had to start making good choices because I thought about dying and I knew I wasn't ready to die. I knew I wasn't ready to leave my child without a father. He said, and I know who you are. He said, I know that you believe in God. Can you tell me what to do? <laughs> Friend, you talk about a opportunity a door wide open the size of the Mack truck could drive through so I sat there across from the table of this big old burly guy he had broke down in a drought in his life and he'd sought somebody who had a spiritual answer and praise God I got to present the gospel to him I got to pray with him there but friend the only reason that he came searching for the man of God was because he had hit a bump in the road and he was devastated and that's the application that I take. The first application that I see from this passage. Write this down. God can use a difficulty to produce dependency. God can use a difficulty to produce dependency. It was the drought that drove the three kings to search out the man of God. This is just one way that God can use adversity in the lives of people to make His presence known and to ignite faith because affliction gets our attention, doesn't it? Like nothing else in life. Difficulty drives dependence. And in a strange, in a paradoxical way, friend, listen to me, your greatest need can become your greatest blessing if that's what it takes to drive you to be dependent upon the Lord. And that's where these kings were. So we see Israel's drought, the dependency of faith. Then number two, I want you to notice with me as we read, Elisha's ditches. And as we look at this part, it's a picture of the diligence of faith. The diligence of faith. Now when the three kings found Elisha, he wasn't necessarily on board to come and help them because of wicked King Jehoram in their midst. Notice what happens in verse 13. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. In other words, go to the prophets of Baal and see if they can help you. But the king of Israel said unto him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand 
of Moab. Now, I get the sense that at times Elisha could be about as cuddly as a cactus. He has mocked Baal in this passage. He has shut down this wicked king. And if it wasn't for the presence of the good king, Jehoshaphat, and his rapport with the man of God, I think Elisha probably would have let him die out there in the wilderness. Because look at what verse 14 says. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But bring me a musician. That's a strange request. Well, not really when you understand that here's a man of God. He says, bring me somebody who can play the guitar, somebody who can pluck the harp, because I need to get in a spirit of worship so that I can hear a word from the Lord. That's why worship is so powerful. Because when you need to know the next step in your life, when you need to know, how am I going to get out of this drought, one of the best things you can do is start worshiping God and get your antenna up and let the Word of God and the worship of God put you in His presence and you can hear a clear word from Him. Now, Elisha's request, notice what happens here. When he gets a word from the Lord, You can imagine, as it comes through the lips of Elisha to these kings, there was furrowed brows all around. You want us to do what, Elisha? Verse 15. Then it happened when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, here it is, Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. And then verse 19, And also you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall cut down every good tree, and stop up every spring of water, and ruin every good piece of land with stones. My goodness, it's starting to get hot in here. You know what that means. Do you see what he told the kings to do? Excuse me, Elisha, uh, don't you realize this ground is hard as granite? We are in a drought and you want us to go out and dig ditches? Has the man of God lost his mind? Now, if they think that digging ditches is crazy... Elijah's next words make even less sense because he tells him in the passage, oh yeah, God's going to fill up the ditches. He won't do it by rain. He won't do it by runoff, but He's going to fill those ditches and then that water is going to be the means by which you will defeat the Moabites. The water wasn't going to come from a thunderstorm. Don't you love the man of God's nonchalant attitude? You know, you see what he said in verse 18? Oh, this is a small thing. (laughs) This is a small thing for my God. Hey, what are you facing this morning? Disease, debt, divorce, problems all around you, trial and tribulation. This is a small thing in the sight of my God. He can meet your need in the desert of life. You see... If your problem is overwhelming, guess what? It's just the right size for God. If your problem is way bigger than you are, leaves you with no resources and no answers, guess what? It's the right size for God. 
You see, a miracle happens when man's impotence meets God's omnipotence. Now, don't miss this principle because here's what I see. God is teaching us from this passage. Write this down if you're taking notes today. Here it is. Faith involves participation with God to see the provision of God. You see that? Elisha is inviting the armies of Judah and Israel and Edom to step out in faith, do something that doesn't make any earthly sense, dig a ditch in a desert. And if you do that, God will show Himself. In other words, if you're willing to step out in faith, God will be willing to step out and show His faithfulness. Years ago, the old uh, inventor Thomas Edison said this, he said, Opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overhauls and looks like work. Does this sound like our generation needs to hear that today? People who want to stay in mom and dad's basement and watch Spongebob and play video games all day and surf on Facebook? But listen, he said, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressing overalls and looks like work. There's a lot of churches that need to hear that today too. There's a lot of churches where you say work and it might as well be a cuss word. They want the budget full. They want the church to be full. They want the worship to be good. They want the preaching to be top notch. But they don't want to work for it. They don't want to give for it. They don't want to pray for it. They don't want to go out and reach people for the Lord. Listen to me today, Liberty Baptist Church. They want the church to grow, but they're not willing to step out in faith and work a little bit. Dig a ditch, so to speak. You see, this is true in our spiritual lives. What Edison said it translates over to our spiritual lives. Listen, before we can see a move of God, we must be willing to make a move for God. Sometimes, listen, God's deliverance is at the bottom of a ditch. And God asks you to do something radical. God asks you to do something outside of the box. God asks you to do something that when the world looks at it, it says, that's crazy, that makes no sense, that's a waste of time, it'll never work. But friend, before you can see the supernatural, sometimes you've got to pick up the shovel and sweat a little bit. I'm not saying... You got to earn your salvation. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, but James said faith without works is dead. In other words, to show you believe in God and you've been changed by God, get out and do something. Our faith must be put to work for God if we want to see a work of God. Now, nobody likes ditch digging, do they? It's not at the top of their list to do. You know why? Because ditch digging is hard work. I had a buddy who worked in construction. Actually, my cousin, he worked in construction for several years. And he said they called a shovel a heat stick. <laughs> in other words, if it was a cold January morning and you handed a shovel and started digging, you get hot real quick. Ditch digging is not illustrious work, is it? Because it's hard work and it's humbling work. Think of a king picking up a shovel and sweating and digging and getting dirt underneath his fingernails. Friend, listen to me. Faith is willing to go and do and look foolish. How stupid do you think these three kings and their men felt out in a desert, drought, digging a ditch? How dumb did they feel at that moment? You ever done something for the Lord? And you're out there doing it and you say, 
I just don't feel good about this. Because it's attacking your pride. Maybe it's a little humbling for you. Listen, faith is willing to take a risk and look stupid. Think about Joshua and his men. How dumb did they feel marching around the city of Jericho for six days in silence? Think about Noah. How stupid did he feel building an ark in his backyard for 120 years while everybody uh, casted stones at him and said, he's the village idiot. We don't know what he's talking about. See, if you're going to dig a ditch for the Lord, if you're going to walk in faith, sometimes you've got to do something in the eyes of the world It just doesn't add up. We've been digging some ditches here at Liberty Baptist Church. And you know, sometimes you dig a ditch and you got to wait on God to fill it. You dig it. You put the work in. All right, Lord, I did what you asked me to do. Week goes by. Month goes by. Two months goes by. Lord, where's my water? I'm dying out here. I need a sign. This couple weeks ago, we had our fall festival. Did you see how many people was there? My stars, I know the kitchen staff, they had their tongues hanging out by the end of the night. Amen, Rowena? I don't know how many hot dogs y'all made, but there wasn't many left when it was over. 280, there you go. So here's the deal. In all of that madness of the fall festival, a little boy walked up to me. His mom and, he brought his mom and daddy, brought them to me. They said, are you preacher Derek? I said, yes, I'm Derek. They said, we want to thank you. I said, what for? They said, you don't understand. They said, our boy came to your basketball camp back in the summer. He came to that basketball camp and all he talked about was Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Preacher Derek, Coach Derek talks about Jesus. They thanked me. They said, we want to thank you for doing that because... Our little boy prayed to receive Jesus into his life. He said, we've gotten back in church and we're going to church now. And they came back to the fall festival when they saw we were having it just to say thank you for digging a ditch for the Lord. And friend, here's what I'm wanting to say to you. You dig a ditch, it takes time to wait and see what God's going to do. But friend, listen, it took a whole church digging just to see one soul saved. Somebody had to put the signs out. Somebody had to fix the food. Somebody had to set up the games. Somebody had to greet. Somebody had to pray. And friend, I'm telling you, it takes a team, it takes an army to dig those ditches and see what God can do. So I'm wondering today, in your personal life, what ditches has God asked you to work on? Let's say you're trying to break a sinful addiction in your life. God is going to ask you to do something difficult, something hard. He's going to ask you to cut ties with that habit. Yes, even say no to certain relationships and break off from unhealthy people. Because you've got to dig a ditch. If you are trying to save your marriage today, if you're having marriage difficulty, the Bible's advice on marriage goes counter to the world and God asks you to dig a ditch. Make an investment. Even if you don't feel like you love your wife, the Bible says, husband, go home and love her like Christ loved the church. Woman, if you don't think your man is worthy of submission, the Bible says, go home and submit to him and see if you can't win him to the Lord without even a word. Maybe you're trying to get out of debt today. 
Oh, you got to do a lot of digging to get out of debt, don't you? You also might need to do a lot of cutting up, cutting up credit cards, cutting out things that you don't need in your life. You got to dig a ditch, and you got to start tithing and start trusting Him. Maybe there's a lost person in your life, in your circle of influence, your family, your workplace, your neighborhood. You've been trying to reach them, but you're so scared of what they might think about you. And God has asked you to dig a ditch. It's time to get out of your comfort zone and go have that spiritual conversation with them. Listen to me. Faith is not a lottery ticket. It's a work order. Don't expect God to deliver if you aren't willing to dig. Amen? So we see Israel's drought in Elijah's ditches. And then number three, oh man, it gets so good right here. Don't check out on me yet. Number three, God's deluge. God's deluge. So we see the dependence of faith and the diligence of faith. And then number three, notice with me, the deliverance of faith. This is an incredible miracle. Read with me verse 20. And now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. What an awesome miracle. The Bible does not even tell us how God did this. We know He didn't use rain or any of the normal means by which to fill those ditches which they had dug. I don't know how God did it. Maybe He just caused the ground to break up and the ground percolated up where those ditches were and it filled from the bottom up. You believe God can do that? I do too. But notice this, it gets even better. Because if you'll go back and you'll study Elijah's original prophecy, here's what he said. He said, you dig the ditches, God will send the water. The water will not only deal with your thirst problem, but the water will also be the means by which I deliver the Moabites into your hand. In other words, I'm going to do a double miracle, God says. But He didn't tell them how He was going to do it. Isn't that faith? God gives you a promise. It says, trust me on this. Write this down. Underline this verse in your word. I will do this for you if you trust me. Notice what happens. God uses the obedience of those ditch diggers to achieve a victory in an unexpected way. Verse 20. Excuse me, verse 21. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. And they rose up early in the morning as the sun was shining on the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. <laughs> and they said, This is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now, therefore, Moab to spoils. You see what happened there? As the rays of the sun come up over those ditches there, the Moabite army looked down in the valley and they saw it. And from their perspective, as the sun shined down on the water, to them it looked like pools of blood. And they thought to themselves, 
Oh, the kings of Judah and Israel and Edom got in a fight and they killed each other. Hey, all we got to do is go do some cleanup, fellas. Let's go down there and take the spoil for ourselves. And so they concluded that these guys had done all the heavy lifting. They killed one another. And little did they know that when they strolled into the camp, the ones that they thought were dead were really alive. Notice this, read it with me. So when they came, verse 24, to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land killing the Moabites and they destroyed the cities and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it and they stopped up the springs and so on. You read. Now notice what happens here. God provides the water. That deals with the drought. But it also defeats the enemy. Friend, do you believe that God can kill two birds with one stone? (laughs) This passage right here proves it. The Bible says He is able to do exceedingly above all that we think or ask according to the power that works within us. Now here's the last application I want you to see. What do we take away from this? Write it down. When we obey unconditionally, God handles the outcome unconventionally. Do you see this? God asks for their obedience. They obey. God meets the need in a way that they could not have ever expected. And friend, God asks for our obedience even when the outcome is not obvious. And when we obey and do all that God has asked us to do, God will do only what He can do. Now, This week I was studying this passage and I saw something in it that I had never seen before. And I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, what's the gospel connection here to our passage? What what does this story teach us about Jesus? And you know, Jesus is on every page. Now think about this. Elisha's miraculous water not only delivered God's people But it also was the means by which they defeated their enemy. And notice what the Bible says. What did the water appear to be in the morning light? Blood. Saved by the blood. (laughs) Well, that preacher what? Think about it, friend. We had a man of God stand in our place. His name was Jesus Christ. And when He went to the cross and He shed His blood, it was the blood that delivered us from sin and from a great enemy named Satan. Now think about this. When Israel's armies saw the water, which they thought was blood, they said, ha, we got them. Let's go in and take the spoil. What do you think our enemy Satan thought when he saw the bleeding Savior dying on a Roman cross and the water and the blood that came from His body? He said, ha, we've got Him. He's dead. The Savior is no more. But what he didn't realize is that the blood was the means by which he would be defeated once and for all. 
all. And just as the army of Moab went into the camp and thought they are dead, they were actually alive, they thought Jesus was dead and gone, He couldn't be back again, all hope was lost, they said the one who delivered us by His blood is dead, but friend, they discovered on the third day, He's alive! He's alive! And He got up out of the tomb with death, hell, and the grave under His feet, victorious forevermore. Remember our missionaries, the Nelsons? Here's how God delivered them from the drought. The Nelsons were awakened in the early morning by a young man at their door. Come out! Come out! The windmill is working. God has sent water. The missionary was skeptical. Don't we do that, by the way? We don't believe that God can do what we asked him to do. Randy was skeptical, so he said, slow down and explain it to me. The youngster began to tell in his own tongue about how when the village heard that the windmill had broke down, that a dozen little old ladies in the village gathered together and said, we need to pray. Isn't it amazing when God's people take Him at His word? They, he said, they prayed for the windmill all night. We prayed for God to help us just as you taught us in church, Brother Randy. And so when the sun came up, Randy drove out to the windmill and he could see the blades turning before he got there. <laughs> the blades turning. He went in and checked the water tank into his amazement. He discovered fresh water flowing out of the pipe. He was befuddled. He said, how could a broken pump that could not possibly seal pull water out of the ground. No repairman had been sent. He said, still to this day, I have not been able to figure it out, but here's the real mystery, he wrote. The windmill continued pumping water for three weeks until our new pump arrived from the United States. And on the day it arrived, the windmill quit working. <laughs> he said in his testimony, it had to be God. And he said that when God did that miracle on their windmill, they had an outbreaking in that little place of Kenya of the gospel that they had never seen before because the people saw that this God is alive and this God is real and this God can make a stream in the desert. You believe that today, church?